For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Today's passage is one of the most difficult, intense, and controversial in the Bible. It deals with the question of eternal security. If we are once saved, are we always saved? Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Loss and Reward. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit and your God-breathed word upon which we will reflect this morning. We ask God, that you would help us, the Holy Spirit, to understand these truths, to make sense of them in a practical way, to to use them to help us and to bring us uh, closer to Christ and to become more like him and to be uh, effective and productive in our Christian life, Lord, uh, for uh, the plans that you have for us are good ones, plans to prosper us to, and to uh, give us a hope in a future, not to harm us. So, Father, we pray that the good purposes of your word would be fully uh, realized in us who yield our will to yours. In Christ's name, amen. amen. A pretty funny commercial back in the 70s when I was in high school, and uh, it was for an aftershave. Uh, company. They had a, a product called Skin Bracer. Maybe how many of you are familiar with the commercial? Good, about half of you. So this guy is in the mirror and he splashes some of the Skin Bracer on his face uh, with its skin tighteners and chin chillers, whatever uh, those mean. And then Right away, he slaps himself really hard, and, and sometimes multiple times. And the sound of it was funnier than even watching it happen. And then he'd calm down, and he, he, upon his face would come a smug smirk, and then he would say, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> And that became a big deal, you know. And then, then, then they tried multiple different versions of that commercial with different kinds of hands coming out of nowhere and really whacking the guy something fierce. Well, I hope this congregation, these Hebrew Christians, have the same good attitude after they've just been verbally slapped around by the writer, a pastor, no doubt, who loves them so much. He's concerned that they're backsliding, uh, and he, he's hoping to get them back on the straight and narrow path. And so there have been a few whacks upside of the face of their soul to kind of get their attention. Uh, you'll recall last chapter, he was saying, you guys are still acting like a bunch of Christian babies. You should be teachers now by this time. But now, in fact, you need to go over the ABCs again. What's wrong with you guys? You want your banky and your binky? You know, so, you know, well, hopefully, if they follow Psalm uh, 141 and verse 5's advice, let a wise, righteous person strike me, it will be kindness. It will be soothing medicine. Let me not refuse it. 
So the psalmist would say, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> Quite literally, let the godly strike me. This is a kindness, he says. So the Bible has these admonitions and, and hopefully those who are reading in the original audience would be saying, thanks, I needed that. Now, actually, it's not the first slap that they have received in these opening chapters and it won't be the last one because Hebrews is famous for at least five warning passages uh, they, uh, if you go to uh, Bible class anywhere, you bring up the book of Hebrews, and the first thing you will hear about is the five warning passages in Hebrews. So I've called uh, the book of Hebrews the book of five slaps, all right? <laughs> now, he's saying it's time to grow up. He's saying it's time to move forward. You guys are walking the fence. You're drifting away. You're not paying attention. You're acting very immature, and that's very dangerous uh, because if that happens, you put yourself as Christians in a very bad place, which she's going to warn them about coming up now in official slap number three. Some people call it the slap of all slaps. In fact, there's no more intense a scripture passage in the entire Bible than the text you're about to read. Now, we don't start off with that text. There's an introduction, and then we'll examine that. So let's get started. Verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings, the ABCs. Let's leave them about Christ and go on to maturity. Not talking about laying again the foundation of Repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God or instructions about baptisms or the laying on of hands or the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, will do so. So note takers number one, uh, the need to press forward, the need to press forward. So he's just called them out for their willful spiritual uh, immaturity in the faith and now he's saying, now let's leave the ABCs, the elements that we're, we're all really well familiar with behind, which is interesting to me. Um, instead of saying, now let's go over them, these basic elements, he's saying, let's leapfrog over them, let's leave them behind. Not because the essentials are unimportant, uh, but he's saying, knowing the foundational truths isn't your problem. You guys know the truths. So you're actually not young, new spiritual babies. You're just acting like it. So there's no need, because what would follow now would be a new believer's course, right? If that were the real problem. But actually, that's not the problem. I like what one writer said. He said, these are Christians who are immature in their faith uh, through no, uh, there are rather Christians who are immature in their faith through no, no fault of their own. Uh, they're, they're young in their walk with the Lord and they need time to grow. This is not the case with these believers. Their immaturity is not from a lack of biblical knowledge or experience, but theirs is a willful decision not to act in line with the truth they already know. In other words, they don't need to rehearse the truth. They need to apply 
what they already have. They need to live up to what they already know. And so he says, uh, and God willing, we will. Because why? This is important heading into the next warning. God willing, why? Because God is willing. God is always willing. So let's press forward, he's saying, know and learn Jesus in deeper ways. Let's not go backwards. Let's not let the foot uh, off of the accelerator. Let's not coast. Let's not, not do any of that. Or we could find ourselves in an impossible situation. Verses four. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So note takers, you, 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 you've seen the need to press forward and now the danger of falling away. And to tell you the truth, this whole idea and a couple of the verses that come after will be the crux of the message and I think um, you can see why. We need to spend some time talking about these verses. Now the danger of falling away. Here's what Pillar New Testament commentary had to say about this passage. This warning passage is in one of the most controversial of in Hebrews and has occasioned considerable discomfort in the history of interpretation. All right, let me give an example of that. G. Campbell Morgan, who is a prince of preachers, who was. Everybody looks up to him. He has a commentary on the book of Hebrews. He skips this entire passage. No comment. And if you go to, uh, many people came up to me, I've never heard this passage. Well, of course, a pastor doesn't want to go to this passage and say, welcome, everybody. Any new visitors here? Well, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a heavy passage. Uh, but you know what? I figure it this way. If it's in the Bible, God probably wants us to read it and to understand it and apply the truths. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're going to do. When I first read the passage, I was about six months old in the Lord. I was already at Bible college, and I had a, a course called Hebrews. And our assignment was to read the entire book cover to cover at first before we even had class one. I did that, and I, I found this passage and a couple others like it in Hebrews, and I had two major concerns. Uh, only two things mattered to me about this. Who are those people, and have they lost their salvation? I mean, quite simply, that's what we want to know, and uh, that's what's caused quite a stir in how to interpret this. Well, let's ask a few questions and walk through the scriptures, remain calm, cool, and collected, because guess what? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Now that we got that settled, we're free to look at this passage. All right. Um, who are these people? Are they born again? Are they truly born again? Or are they just professed believers? Name only. 
Well, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better definition for what it means to be regenerated or a Christian than these five descriptions, and we're going to take a look at them. Uh, David Guzik, who pastors Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, said that uh, these five descriptions given here is how he would qualify elders, deacons, and pastors at his church. And so it's worth taking a look at, right? Number one, enlightened. The word means that the light bulb inside has come on. You get it. The heavenly revelation of God's truth has been received. You have had your epiphany and you have had your aha moment. Uh, like the Hank Williams hymn goes. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Get ready. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a second chance here. It goes on. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. And so did they. Number two, tasted the heavenly gift. Tasted in the Greek is the same tasted in Hebrews chapter two and verse nine, where it tells us that Jesus tasted death for everyone so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus tasted death. That word means a full embrace, a full experience, because Jesus truly tasted death. He experienced it. Uh, and the object of tasting is the heavenly gift. In Ephesians chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 6, salvation is called a heavenly gift. So in short, the, these are people who have experienced salvation. Number three, shared in the Holy Spirit. This means that your soul and God's spirit united. There was connection. You shared in him and him with you. Four, that they tasted the goodness of the word of God. That just means that a tasted again, experience the word of God working and active in your own heart and life. You've seen it and you've experienced it. Five, tasted the powers of the coming age. Taste it again. Experienced that supernatural force and power of God that is bringing all things toward that one far-off divine event toward which all creation moves, the second coming and the world beyond this temporary world, the real world, that power that's doing all of that, thy kingdom come, has come in your heart and has begun its work already. Those are the people that we're talking about. I find that it would be disingenuous to say they are anything less than born again, regenerated, Bible-believing Christians. I don't think you can do anything else. Charles Haddon Spurgeon on this verse. We come to this passage with the intention to read it 
with the simplicity of a child. And, what, and whatever we find it saying, even if it may not seem to agree with a theological position of ours, we are prepared to cast away our own doctrines rather than to do away with one verse of Scripture. Amen? Does that sound, that sound fair and reasonable? I think it's fair and reasonable to say, whoever these people are, they're saved. All right, let's go on here because there's another question. The next question, what have these saved hypothetical Christians done? Because the, he's not saying anybody's done it, nor does he think they've done it. He's gonna say that later. But he's saying if this were to happen. So what have, what have these done? They have fallen away. Now, that's kind of a tricky thing to understand. It means, technically, they have wandered from the truth. They've slipped, and, and they've had a fall. And in this case, they've fallen, and they can't get up. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. We're all going to get through this, all right? Now, I want to give you an understanding of two words, backslider and apostate. A backslider is something that almost every Christian has done or will do or is doing right now. It, it, it's not being all you can be in Christ. And you're, you're sinning or you, or you have a season where you're, you're, you're just kind of disconnected a little bit. You're backsliding. We know what backsliding is. The thing about backsliders is, is, is that they come back. They backslide for a while, they come back. We're, we're not talking about that because, you know, the righteous man, the righteous person falls seven times, Proverbs 24 and 16. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up. All right, listen, there's a difference there. And by the way, oh, but if he falls eight times, he's out of there, right? <laughs> That's not the point. A righteous person, those set right with God, that's what righteous means. Somebody's walking with God, set right with him, saved. They're perpetually falling. They're perpetually needing to uh, course correct. There's always something that's going, but they always get up. And so who in their heart can say, I've cleansed my heart and kept myself from sin? The other psalmist says, and if we say that we don't have sin, we lie. You know, so th there's, there's something about backsliders like David, who spent a year with unconfessed sin as a murderer and an adulterer, who's not an apostate, because why? Because he turned. He turned. That's what makes the difference. And so this is what they're doing. The apostate, for whatever reason, in their own mind, in their own heart, they cross a line that they decide, I'm not coming back. And for whatever reason, they're on a backslide that's perpetual. There's no U-turn in sight. They don't want a U-turn. They know about the U-turn. They want to keep going. And there's a mystery. Who's a backslider? Who's a apostate? Only God knows, and he's not saying anything. <laughs> There is no way for the human eye to know who's who pretty much in any situation. That's up to God to know the heart. Amen? And so these guys 
are, are just sadly, the apostate is one who's just going to go to the grave, though knowing God and a Christian has turned for whatever reason and is facing the opposite direction. And that is what makes renewal impossible. In fact, word biblical commentary put it this way, so lovely in one sentence, to repudiate Christ is to embrace the impossible. To reject Christ in your heart, to turn your back on Christ, is is now there's an impossible situation, impossible with man, not impossible with God, but the posture of your own soul has made it impossible for you to be reconciled with God because of the posture that you placed yourself in. In other words, if you want to be reconciled north and you're facing south, it is impossible while you are facing south to be reconciled to north. And all you have to do to reconcile with north is turn toward north, and then you be reconciled. that pretty easy? Did you follow that? You're all very quiet. You're making me uncomfortable. Let's talk about this burden that this verse has caused because it's been taken out of context and misapplied primarily by the devil. Now, this has been called the devil's favorite verse in the Bible. Oh, he knows scriptures and he uses them and he preaches sermons, all right? He preached one to our Lord in Matthew 4. He says, hey, Lord, it's listed in the scripture. Psalm 91 says, and he quoted it out of context and misapplied it. Can I trip you up with the word of God? That's what he does. And this is one of his favorite verses. And so what he does is he goes to someone who's messed up big time. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I I said a naughty word. I'm talking about adultery, and the rest of it. And reads this, and then he preaches a sermon. You've blown it big time. And what does the word of God say? It's impossible. That's too bad, because it's not what it means. Promise after promise, mercy is extended after mercy To the worst of the worst, there is not one scripture that you can show me in the Bible where a sinner says, please have mercy on me. I've sinned. I'm sorry. It's the last second I know. And God goes, oh, excuse me. Have you read Hebrews 6 and verse 4? (laughs) I don't think so. You'll never find it. Because God's heart is that if the worst of the worst, the most heinous sinners on the planet have found mercy with him. How much more a backslidden, blood-washed son or daughter of his? Oh, the impossibility is not on God's end. For that which is impossible with man is possible with God. I I like David Guzik once again. He, He said... The idea here is not that if you fall away, you can't come back to Jesus ever, but that if you turn your back on Jesus, don't expect to find grace and blessing anywhere else, especially in the foundations of Judaism, apart from the fullness of Christ. And so, you know, 
P.S. If you ever think this is you, it isn't. Because if it were, you wouldn't care. My Bible teacher, Norm Arneson, he's with the Lord now. One of my Bible teachers loved him. He said, listen, if you think you've done some kind of unpardonable sin and that upsets you, it's not you. Because people who fall away in that way, they don't care. So all you'd have to do is turn and find a God who says, turn, turn, turn from your wicked ways. I take no de desire or delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn and find life. That's God's heart. And all that's happening here is he's saying, if you get to a place where you're facing south, 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 and you're determined to be that way, who's gonna reach you? What, what, what am I gonna say to you? Oh, Jesus loves you, man. Yeah, you know, you already been there, done that. There's, you've made it impossible to be reached, to turn around, to find uh, renewal with your repentance with God. And so the object of the adjective is important, impossible to bring back to repentance. Let's talk about that. Now, here's what you won't see because it's impossible if someone says, I will never mention the name of Jesus. And there already had been a Christian. Here's what's impossible. They're dead set that way. You're not gonna be seeing any tears of remorse. You won't be seeing them make any possible uh, positive changes. That's impossible. What's impossible is they won't be saying I'm sorry to people they've hurt or, 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 or own the damage that they've done. Uh, she won't be asking forgiveness from God or anybody else, and he won't be renewing uh, this relationship with Christ. She won't be serving the Lord again, and he won't be making any new promises about uh, walking with Jesus because that's impossible. But does that mean that seeing them in heaven is impossible? It doesn't say that. It says the renewal of that person's relationship with God. What about the, the clear-cut relationship that they had because they tasted the heavenly gift, they experienced it. So they were saved. What happened to that? Well, we're gonna talk about that, and I'm glad that's on your mind. <laughs> Does relentless backsliding cost you your salvation? I'm gonna answer that for you. Now, the doctrine that says once saved, always saved, which I believe with my heart, mind, soul, and strength and anything else, I can't believe it with a full head of hair. But if I had a full head of hair, I would throw that in there too because I believe it, the, the scriptures plainly teach that once you've been saved, it is everlasting life. Um, that is called the, uh, the perseverance of the saints. And the saints is just the old English word for those separated from your sin to God, all right? Or, or you can call it eternal security. And here's how it goes. It goes, once you've been saved, you're always saved. Now, I, I'm gonna give you reasons for that, okay? So the first heading, the nature of salvation makes me believe it's impossible for the, per, the people in that verse, who have tasted the free gift of eternal life and, put, and shared with the Holy Spirit and, and, and experienced the word of God in them 
to ever lose their salvation. Let me tell you why. Number one, the nature of salvation, it's eternal. Charles, Dr. Charles Ryrie used to say, everlasting life means everlasting life. And sometimes you have to just splice it down to that. Listen, he said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. Now, if you've ever had salvation, there's only one kind God gives, and he calls it by what it is. It's eternal salvation. And if it weren't, he couldn't call it eternal salvation. So I see some of you need more convincing. Good, I'll move on to my next point. <laughs> the nature of salvation, it's eternal, and, and, and making it to heaven comes included in the initial offer. It comes guaranteed. And let me prove that to you with Romans chapter 8. Here's the process of salvation. It's called the golden chain. For those God foreknew, he knew Christians before the planet was. He just smart that way. All right? And then since he knew that if we could, we would. So he said, I'm going to help you out there. And I'm going to make sure that that happens. And it does. And if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. And those he predestined, he called. And if you've ever been called, then you've been justified. And if you've ever been justified, you've been glorified. Because he's done this past tense. It's as good as over. So when you, when you get predestined, you, you've been called, and, and if you've been called, you're a Christian. You know that voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I give them eternal life, and they know me. Well, if you're called, you're justified. That means pardoned, forgiven, past tense. Not will be if. No, if they were called, if they were predestined, then they're going to be just as though they never sinned. That's what justified means. And glorified heaven. This is your new body, this is your new life, and this is heaven. E.D., it already happened. If you have one, you have them all, period. Well, well, that sounds like I could do anything I want and not lose it. Yeah, it's true. You can, but there will be other things you will lose. So just hold on. Let's get to the whole picture before you start composing your emails. <laughs> Just wait. Just wait until I get it all out, because I'm not. I, the, the ball isn't all the way there yet, but I'm working on it. Oh, I'll just ask you right now, even though it's later in the sermon. Question: You're saved. Does your salvation require you to maintain your salvation through repentance? Let's let me repeat that. You get saved. Do you, must you maintain your salvation through your repentance? If you answer yes to that, A, you need to get very, very busy and very, very fast. B, you've turned it into something, a work salvation. You're saved by your ability to repent not by grace alone. Okay, I can see some of you want to start the emailing. <laughs> but 
That's okay. Self-control, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. All right. Furthermore, if that doesn't stop you from needless sense of tormenting yourself that this all depends on you, all right, how about Jesus? Uh, how about the fact that it's free? Ephesians 2.8. The gra- <laughs> saved, grace, grace means you can't earn it, right? Through faith, it's not from yourself. You can't do anything about it to get it or to keep it. It is a gift of God, not by your works, not by repenting, not by anything. It's by trusting and receiving. Repentance is born out of Trusting and receiving. Not repenting may show you that you never had it, but it doesn't mean to a saved person that you could lose it so that nobody can boast. Listen, if God must qualify you and you cannot qualify but only receive, then how can you be unqualified for something you never qualified for in the first place? (laughs) Okay, you need more? I've got more. i got all day. I'm not interested in football. (laughs) I'm not done with you. Hold on. Let's exhibit A, which is really exhibit D by now. I'm going to bring in the Lord Jesus Christ to have a little talk with us. All right? First set of Jesus' promises. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Oh, they will. And whoever comes to me, I will never, oh, never. If you ever come to me, if you ever partake of the Holy Spirit, if you ever uh, uh, taste the promises of the coming age, if you ever are enlightened and the light comes on, I will never. Whoever comes to me, I will never. Guess what happens in the Greek there? The Greek word for never there is, thank you. (laughs) And this is the will of him who sent me. That I, here's, (laughs) here's the father's will on top of my own. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I shall lose none, not one, of all he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. Heaven, heaven, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes, trusts alone in him, shall have, oh, there's the word, eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Thank you, Jesus. I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. I just really do. But wait, there's more. Next one. John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish if you ever were a sheep. (laughs) You is always one. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me, double security, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one, incidentally. <laughs> I just saved you $125 an hour in therapy, all right? Now, now listen up. It's okay. Norm Arneson, professor, he said, listen, men, you're going to be preaching the gospel 
if someone accuses you of offering a grace which can be obviously taken advantage of, he said, bingo, you have preached grace properly. You should be thinking, well, boy, that's something you could really take advantage of. That's what grace is. Grace is grace. It's not a very smart thing to take advantage of it. And you'll pay dearly for doing so. But that's what grace is all about. I think Jesus uh, convinced us all. Amen? Amen? There is something at stake here. It's tragic, beyond tragic. But I'm sorry, when you take the whole council of scriptures, it does not involve loss of eternal life. Oh, there's a host of terrible things you do lose. And we, we should be looking at that. So to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And you want to know what commentators think that means? Recrucifying Jesus. These are folks who want to go back to the temple and offer lamb, lamb sacrifices instead of Jesus. And so what they're saying by going back to Judaism is that, so, whoa, the blood of bull and bulls and goats, so we're still in need of a savior to fix this permanently. And so Jesus would need to be technically crucified all over again. All right, so that's the sense there. Putting Jesus to public disgrace, of course. I mean, um, your life and your lips are testifying that the cross in Jesus Christ do not work. They're ineffective. Look at me. I was one. And now by my life and my lips, I'm a walking advertisement for Jesus and the cross are nothing to worry about. They don't work. Tried it, been there, done that. Doesn't satisfy. Lots of problems. False. You're taking Jesus and disgracing him. So it's not just your own loss, but you are creating hindrance to the work of the kingdom of God. Now, let me walk you through three biblical chastisements or losses that can happen as God loves us as dear sons and daughters, and in his love, he disciplines his children. And so, number one, what is the loss that happens? Well, number one, there's a loss of spiritual inheritance. In other words, there's a loss of the promised land. In this life, uh, the Jews who disobeyed and turned their backs to God 10 times in the wilderness. We don't care about the miracles. We saw the 10 plagues. Uh, uh, we, we get the whole thing. There's a pillar of fire that follows us. We've, we saw the miracle from the rock. And the water came out and we've eaten the manna and we passed through the, the Red Sea parted. And we're still saying, no, 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 no. God says, you can be forgiven. Forgiveness is open. Promised land, closed. Forgiven, but you wander around in a dry, barren desert with a lot of snakes and a lot of cactus. But you know what? You're never going to embrace and enjoy the abundant life that I have for you here. So that's loss. You may not have lost your soul, but you've lost 
the goodness and the abundant life that Jesus came to bring you. Uh, and what, did that, what was that for you? Hebrew? Is that your good marriage? Or a beautiful, wonderful career? Or all these accomplishments that, that, that were forfeited? The peace of mind and a beautiful, well-ordered life. And who knows what God had for the person who says, you know what, I'm just tired of serving. And turns their back. So, so, so number one, spiritual inheritance is lost. That which God had for you in this life, you lose that. Or you can't bite the hand that feeds and expect you to get the, the blessing God had for you. Number two is that there's a loss of heavenly reward. And we've talked about this because it's so important. Jesus talks a lot about heavenly reward because he says the life that's coming is eternal. This life is temporary. And he says... We are proving through our faithful stewardship of what he's given me and you where we will be placed and what kind of rewards we will attain in the life that's coming. Did you hear that? Because this is a short life, but how we steward it. Salvation's unconditional. Reward in the next life is conditional on our faithfulness here. And so Jesus talks all about uh, thrones and crowns and honors and positions and in, of influence are at stake. Luke chapter 19, Matthew chapter 25. These are areas where Jesus is saying, pay attention. There'll be a, a judgment day and there'll be rewards given out and, and you want to do well there. So here's what he says. Here's the point here. He's saying that the Christian is the land and the, the Christian either has uh, going to be rewarded with the fruit of their efforts or they produce thorns and thistles. That's worthless and it's going to be burned but what happens to the person? We get the thorns and thistles, all of that sinning and disobedience and all the bad deeds, all of it is burned up but what happens to the person? 1 Corinthians 3. Check this out. He's talking to Corinthians who are spiritually immature. Paul the Apostle. Now catch this because you're going to see something here. And he says, he, he, he says, listen, we are God's fellow workers. And look at that. He uses the analogy of Hebrews. He says, you're God's field. Okay, so, okay, I'm a field. I'm producing something. And he says, well, let's go with the analogy of a building, building a building for the Christian life. By the grace of God, I laid the foundation, but each one should be careful how he builds on Jesus Christ, our only foundation. So the foundation goes in, and our job in our Christian life is to build on that with works and deeds and obedience and all of that. Now, when you're doing your Christian life and you use gold, silver, and costly stones, it's just goodness and obedience and Christian growth and, and all of the things that we know are good uh, in the Bible. Or you can build with substandard things like sinning and squandering and wood, hay, and straw. Bad motives, the whole nine yards. Backsliding. His work will be shown for what it is because the day, that day, the day he appears and we stand before him, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. Check this out. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he built survives, he will receive his reward. 
if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. No, no throne there, no region to administrate over, no crown for that, no distinguishing, no honor. He will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. What, what, what up with the land? The land, he himself will be saved. His works will be burned up. He's saved, but just barely as one escaping through the flames. Now, I see that it, it, totally right there. It just tells us right there. It is possible to squander your Christian life in such a way that when you see him, there's a lot that goes up. You have crashed and burned on the runways of heaven. The angels get in there and pull you out, dust you off. Uh, you smell a little bit like smoke, but, but you're there. You're there, you know? And I don't think anybody's going to be off in the choir and corner <laughs> crying for 10,000 years. You, everybody will just, it'll all make sense. You know, it'll all make sense. And You'll care then. You'll care then. Don't squander. Don't squander anything. That's what it's talking about there. There are positions and crowns and services and everything like that, but you don't, you make it. Is this why there are tears in heaven? He wipes them dry, but they're there. Why are they there? The fires and stuff went up and we cry. And he says, come here. It's okay. Glad you're here. It's biblical. I got it right there. Check it out. <laughs> Finally, the third loss that you can incur as an unfaithful Christian is loss of physical life. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And sometimes that chastening uh, means a shortened physical life. First John 5 and verse 16 says, there's a sin that, thank you for that, we don't need that anymore. There's a sin that does not lead to death, but there's a sin that leads to death, physical death. Ask Ananias and Sapphira when you see them because God put them on an earlier flight for whatever reason. He just said, you know what? Uh, that's a sin to death and I'll let you all know why that was so important for the sake of Ananias and Sapphira's faith and for the sake of the little well-being of the only church in town, which was one only church in town at that time in Acts 5. And he'll let us know all about that. But... Their sin precipitated their death, and they're believers, right? In 1 Corinthians, if you don't believe that, in 1 Corinthians, uh, they were getting drunk at the home fellowship groups and sleeping around during the communion service, drunk and sexually immoral. Here's what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. He tells them, what? You're getting drunk at communion? You're carousing with one another sexually immoral? And then he says, here it is. That is why 
Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. You did this sin, and some of you are dead because of it. That's biblical. Paul talks about it this way, that the body is destroyed, that the soul is saved. 1 Corinthians, I think that's chapter 5 and verse 5. Now, there's a sin that leads to death, and I'm going to tell you a bizarre story, and I will let you make of it as you will, but it is, it really fits here. I got a phone call. A man asked me if I was able to meet with him. He said, I'm not from Santa Rosa, but my sister has died in your area. We need a pastor for the service. And I Googled Calvary Chapel because I want a strong Bible guy to do her service. And I said, I'll volunteer. He said, it's a bizarre story. So I met with him and he said, listen, about my sister. We were raised in the church. My sister loved Jesus all her life like crazy. She went to YWAM. She was a leader. She was a missionary. She was an evangelist. She had her Bible wherever she went for years. No one could lead someone to the Lord like my sister. Pictures. He had pictures of her. YWAM with her Bible. And he brought a prayer journal. He said, look at her prayer journal. And he, he also brought uh, her love letters that she wrote to Jesus in her 20s. They were beautiful. He was so proud and so moved. And then he said, some years ago, Pastor, uh, she met a guy in Berkeley. He was older and into new age. And she fell madly in love with him. And despite the entire family and community of Christians and everybody she knew that warned her, she moved in with him. They had a son. They did not get married. Uh, They moved out into the Redwoods near you. And slowly but surely, she denounced Christ and her Christian life and her new community, the animists. Now, animism means that you believe souls and spirits inhabit inanimate things like rocks, trees, mountains, and rivers. The thunder is a person. Everything has a soul, all right? And so she worshiped out there. She worshiped the nature where she lived. And uh, after years of reaching out, no one could get to her. She was surrounded by that uh, New Age community, and here's what happened, Pastor. On Sunday morning, she went out for a walk in the woods to worship the trees, and she loved the redwood trees, and she worshiped them. And on Sunday morning, for no apparent reason, one of the larger ones uprooted itself and fell, and she could not get out of the way in time. So, Pastor, I'm asking you to do my sister's memorial. Pastor, she's, my sister is in heaven. God said, enough is enough. It's Sunday morning. Come worship with me. Come on home. Now, I did the memorial service, and 
the boyfriend wanted full control and fought for it to be a pagan, an official pagan service. And he lost, and it was given to the brother. Parents have died. The brother was legally allowed to conduct the service as a Christian. So he took the prayer journal, and he took pictures of the letters and the pictures of her Bible and took pictures out of her Bible, verses out of her Bible with her notes and made a collage and put them in front of her casket. And all of her community was filing by and reading every last thing that she wrote. And he said afterwards, Pastor, this was my sister. This is who she was this is who she is. This is how she died. It didn't look that way at the end. But my sister would want to have Christ and the gospel preached at her memorial service. And I gave her the dignity of having to do it through her own lips. And so everybody filed through and was hearing her love for Jesus, how Christ is the only way and all of that. So it was pretty wonderful event uh, in some ways. And so she got to testify at her own. Now, it was his opinion that this is who she was and she retained her salvation even though. And, and it was his idea that her works, her thorns and thistles burned up. And then the Lord just said, hey, listen, uh, it's Sunday. You should be in church. I got a big cathedral up here you know, kind of thing. And so uh, these are their ideas, the Christian family and siblings too. And of course, um, sounding a little familiar to what we're talking about. Let's close with some uplifting verses that follow, verses 9 through 12. They're self-explanatory. We'll just read them, really. Now, even though we speak like this, dear friends, and it means loved ones, we are confident we remain sure of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He's not going to forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. And so right here now, an exhortation. He knows he's been harsh, and he's going to pull back a little bit and say an exhortation to hang in there, a significant change of tone, a welcomed one, I must say. So he's saying scary stuff, Hebrews. But I don't think, uh, we don't believe that this is you, nor do we believe this is the path you're going to choose. This harsh Wake-up call was brought to you because we love you. We believe in you. We want you to do better. You see, you're the field that blossoms, and you're the ones with good fruit that remains. And so I love this. Just in closing, nothing will inspire a backslider to continue backsliding further then the feeling of being discouraged, like you've ruined everything. I've already messed up this much. I might as well just totally mess up. 
Has that thought ever gone through your mind? Unfortunately, it does, right? But he's saying, no, that's not the case. Yes, you've been spiritually slow, and yes, you're drifting away, and yes, you're making bad choices, and yes, you're kind of in a bad place. But look, guess what? God hasn't uh, disregarded what you've done for him. That's, that credit is still on your account. So th- there should be a, a desire for you not to say, hey, I'm going to give up because I already ruined it. I already messed up. Now I'm going to mess up big time. No, instead, hang in there. God hasn't discounted your hard work. You showed him love. And in Hebrews chapter 10, coming up, he's going to say what kinds of people they and things that they used to do. They stood bold in the face of persecution. They loved those who were imprisoned because of the faith. They stuck together. Um, they were practically sharing with one another financially in their, in their distress and persecution. And they accepted cheerfully the loss of their property. He says, oh, God remembers that. You guys, you have, you have an investment. Don't think that you've ruined that or that that has been discarded by God. You have, you have a reason. He's giving them one less hurdle, right? The hurdle of, well, I blew that away. No, you didn't. He's kept track of everything you've done for him. And just because you're struggling doesn't mean that that has lost its meaning. It's intact. Here it is. Come on back. And so he closes with these words. Keep up your good work, man. Press on with hope to the end. Imitate those who, look at that word, inherit, not earn. Inherit, not earn. Imitate their, their trust and their patience, and you'll find that you can do this. Amen? You can do this. All right. Well, some heavy words to think about, but I'm encouraged. You know what? Because I'm not them. You're not them. And if you're afraid you are them, watch this. This is how hard it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. You don't need to be discouraged. You need to be encouraged, all right? Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your great love. We just thank you that nothing can separate us. And we thank you for the reason why, which we celebrate right now, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God the Son, paying the full penalty on the cross. We thank you now as we reflect. Guide us, Holy Spirit. And encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page. 